Hey, welcome back to the SBP Podcast Mobile Filmmaking. I'm your host, Susie Botello, and this is episode 149. Hey, I am here with our new guest, someone who's never been on the SBP Podcast before, but that we know very well because Jason Rivera, a music composer, uh, who was in our film festival this year. Uh, Jason is in L.A. Uh, Jason came to the film festival to represent uh, Connor Geary, who made a film, a short film, called Help Wanted, and he composed the music for that film. Jason, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming it's on the great show. To be here. Yeah, I appreciate you, especially... You know, on a late night. <laughs> it's all good. It's nice and quiet. Yeah. Ish in LA. It's like crickets. <laughs> uh, Jason, I wanted, I'm really excited about you uh, being on the show because I think uh, the listeners are going to love everything, you know, that you have to bring um, for them. I think it's really inspirational that, um, that you score film, uh, you, I, should I say this? You compose, um, you're a composer, right? But you mm-hmm. score music for films. And uh, it, it's a very integral part of filmmaking and mobile filmmaking. And um, it's, it's a great um, opportunity for our listeners to contact you and get to know what you do, why you do it, and why it's so important uh, and I want them to contact you if they are thinking about making a feature film or or any film, quite honestly, um, if they can, and hire you to make their music. And one of the reasons I'm saying that, Jason, is because I listened to, we're going to share that with our listeners as well, but I listened to some of your music. And what is the name of that that mute that one song that you have which made a really really nice impression um on me (laughs) um on your on your demo reel Hmm. it's one that starts up for some reason it reminded me of um top gun interesting yeah well thank you thank you um I'm not sure um, which. Could you hum it? Could yeah. Hum well, <laughs> no, I don't have. I'm not that talented. <laughs> Actually, I think it was called Beam. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know cool. why it, it reminded me of the opening scene of um, Top Gun, you know, the, mm, the Mavericks yeah. one. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I don't always use guitars in, in uh, compositions the way I did in that piece, but one one of my inspirations for that actually was um, Ennio Morricone films, oh. you know, his scores, um, especially for um, the spaghetti western films. He used he featured guitars a lot, and so I hadn't tried that before. So I thought it would be just kind of fun and interesting to use guitar in that way in a composition. Um, but yes, Top Gun, that main original main theme features electric guitar yeah. all over it. Yep. So I could see that connection. Yeah. And it has a very cinematic, you know, uh, and, and very emotional in a way kind of feeling to yeah. it. It's um, yeah, it, I, it's my favorite one, just so that, you know, cause, uh, you know, 
thank you. Yeah, you're you're very welcome. The one the there's another one there that's also really good, and I mean all of them are good. <laughs> you're like, what about the rest? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, speaking of guitars, I I I wanted to you know first of all, uh, how did you, I want to talk because you grew your dad was a guitarist. He was a bassist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you played in salsa bands. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. in the New York area, I was going to bring the salsa up, you know, as my favorite, you know, because of not having anything to do with that. But, you know, I'm a fish taco girl. So <laughs> 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 you didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> but um, but no, but I wanted to talk about your dad and growing up you know, in the music, this guys, we're talking right now to a prodigy because he started writing and, comp- and, and making music when he was four years old. Uh, mm-hmm. Jason, that's, that's an incredible story. We're going to have to speak to, um, but let's talk a little bit about how we met and why, uh, if you want to talk about, you know, this film with, uh, Connor Geary, Mm-hmm. Uh, because he reached out to you somehow, right? Yeah, we actually both, we met through something that takes place in L.A. every year. It's a, a collabor- collaboration filmmakers challenge. And um, I had done it for the first time last year. And so we connected through that. It's a two-week filmmaking challenge. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun, a lot of pressure. Um, and so, uh, he reached out to me and, uh, remotely cause he's in Indiana and I'm in LA Yeah. and, um, you know, he just asked me if I'd be interested in working with him. And I checked out an earlier short film that he did and I liked it. I thought it was really interesting film. Um, so I said yes. And, um, I actually started writing the score for that short based on the script and a conversation that I had with Connor on the phone about the film. Um, so he was in production while I had started the score on my own out here in LA. Um, and then, so I had, you know, did a bunch of work on it. And then finally, um, I received the footage from Connor. Uh, it was locked. And, um, then I went back in and, you know, made some tweaks and changes to what I had already done based on the script. Um, then we had m- maybe one or two rounds of small changes, little tweaks to the score, and and it was done. It was a really fun and a nice collaboration. Like the, like the music. The music was light um, as well um, for... for um, uh, help wanted which was a, a unique little story I, I'll read you know what I'm going to read the synopsis um, okay. a young boy learns about kindness and generosity not from what his dad says but from what he does and it's a it's a touching story I remember when I when I first saw it after he submitted it and I was like oh my god I love the message you know, in the, in the story and the way that he tells it, you know, uh, the, the film itself, the cinematography for it, uh, was actually really nice. 
Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, and then he has his son is is in the film, right? Yep. And he yep. is in the film, right? Briefly at the end in the yeah. in the end credits, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that that was a a great little film, and it got a really nice reaction at the film festival. And I'm hoping that Connor and uh, his son are listening. <laughs> um, and uh, Connor, congratulations. Uh, it was a great film and uh, people loved it. And I have to also thank Connor for uh, allowing you to come. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that happened. I think I may have said something like, well, if you can't come, if you want to send someone or maybe he suggested it. But it was great that you came to our film festival this year, Jason. Um, thank you. I, you know, everybody, everybody liked you and, um, and you liked everybody. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a great, great event. Great festival. Yeah. And so, um, you were a part of the, uh, of the family there (laughs) during that weekend. Yeah. And I felt that I felt that from everybody and especially from you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that. Well, I had never, the only person in that festival, uh, you know, of all the filmmakers and participants, really, that I had met before in person uh, was Levi, Levi Austin Morris. Okay. And yeah. everybody else was new to each other and me. And so, wow. yeah, it's uh, incredible, incredible. Yeah, there was just a great energy and so much great work featured in the program. Um and just, I don't know, it was such such a supportive yeah. festival. Yeah, I think that's really what it binds, what it comes down to is the support of each other because um, um, that's what, you know, you hope to get in a film festival because that support leads to collaboration uh, yeah. with each other later. Um, and there were a lot of you. Uh, like we're going to discuss here, um, I mean, you're a professional at what you do, and um, this is this is part of the benefit of attending a film festival and meeting people like you is like, hey, you have, you know, uh, someone in the industry who's a professional that, you know, can, you know, you guys can, it's a win-win, basically. Yeah, it is. So let's talk a little bit about you now. Um, if you don't mind, you don't mind, do you? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. That's all right. Um, Jason, why don't you tell us, because we're going to start very early, like uh, <laughs> when you were four years old. Um, you're, you're from Puerto Rico? My parents were both born there. Yeah. yeah I was born in New Jersey. Nice. Mm-hmm. Where's that accent? New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sometimes if I've, if I've had a drink, it'll come out. <laughs> I've been told. Um, so yeah, so, so your parents, so you were born in New Jersey with, and, um, and your father was a guitarist. Did he play in a band? Well, go ahead and share your story. Sure. Uh, well, he played in salsa bands. He played the upright bass in salsa bands and the, on the East coast, New Jersey, New York area. Um, and I've heard some of those recordings when I was a teenager and they're pretty, pretty exceptional. Uh, some of the bands that he was in, 
during that time. Um, so, you know, and actually one of my brothers is also studied as a musician. Um, and he and I even played in a band at one point many, many years ago. Um, but growing up, we always had instruments in the house, you know, basses, guitars, upright piano. So it just was like part of the environment that I grew up in. Um, and, um, and there's also this thing every Christmas in Puerto Rican culture where um, it's, you know, like a Puerto Rican version of caroling, but there's very specific songs. Oh, yes. That are played. Yeah. yeah the parandas, they're called. Um, and so I, it's just part of my family and the, cult, the culture that I grew up in. Um, and so, you know, naturally, I was always super curious about all the instruments in our home and trying them out and making sounds with them. But also like even before that, I just always heard music in my head. Mm. And from the time I was a toddler, I can remember that far back. And I think, I think some people just have music with them all the time. And, um, I thought that was kind of weird maybe at one point in my life, but then I heard some other musicians saying a very similar thing. That's like this field that's always been around them. Music has just always been around them since and they, they were kids. And they even defined the sounds um, around them as musical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I was just one of those people, you know, from the time I was a small kid. And so I was, lucky to have all those instruments around and music around me and musicians around me. And I also at one point had a Fisher price tape recorder, which for me, that was my first studio. That's how I think of it. Um, because on that little tape recorder, I'd hear these chord progressions and stuff and melodies in my head. And I would record them down from the time that I was, you know, four or five. Um, so, it's music's always been a part of my life and um yeah that's just kind of that's the background of how i got involved with it that is so so i i forgot about those fisher price recorders (laughs) (laughs) i think you can find them i looked them up because i just wanted to see kind of you know that that thing's long gone i don't i don't remember what happened well they even had cameras now that i'm you know really yeah yeah there was um I, I'm just now remembering um, there was a filmmaker in 2013. Uh, there was a filmmaker uh, in our film festival. They won, I think they won second prize, and they did this thing with puppets. And the guy said, I had always been experimenting with different cameras, and that's why he made one on a phone, um, on an iPhone. But he said, I once made a little short little film on a Fisher Price camera. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> I don't think I want to have a film festival for Fisher <laughs> cameras. But yeah, you just reminded me of that. And uh, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a Fisher Price, man. I didn't know about that. They're like the Apple of toys, right? <laughs> exactly. Creativity. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. So it, yeah, it, it was obviously, it was embedded in your, in your DNA. Uh, yep. As part of your family and your culture, um, and then uh, how? At what point did you decide 
I mean, obviously, you're a kid, right? And then as, as you're growing up, it's just a part of you. At what point did you decide, well, this this is a profession for me? Well, um, so I always was involved with music, but I was also always drawing and painting. I always did both from mm. the time I was a little kid. And I and then as I got older, wound up studying both in school from probably high school as a freshman in high school. So I was taking music lessons, but also studying painting. Um, and then did that into my early 20s. And then I think at some point, I just realized that I wanted to kind of go all in with music and really focus on it. Um, it just kind of at that point, for some reason, stood out to me as the thing that I really wanted to dedicate myself to. And so I did. Um, and but even before that point, I played in bands like basically since I was a teenager, I was always in a band playing something, some instrument. Um, and I toured um, as a late teenager toward the U.S. In, in a band with my brother. Um, and but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't until like my about my early 20s where I decided to really focus on music and um, and then continued when I moved to L.A., played and continued to play in bands as a guitarist and a piano player and a songwriter. Nice. And then um, at some point, I really started to listen, started listening to a lot of film scores. I'm not even really sure why. They just, I mean, I've always loved film music, yeah. you know, um, especially like John Williams scores. I don't know, they have a special place for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For, I just really started listening to a lot of film music and so much so like not always even having the time to watch the films, but like being really into the scores and absorbing them and studying them. Um, and then that kind of led me into wanting, wanting to study more of composition and orchestration um, to really learn how to use the orchestra. And that led me into, and I, so I studied that privately with a composition orchestration teacher for quite a bit of time and was also studying and learning how to use production software, you know, music production software. Um, and then I decided on the kind of on a whim to take a class at UCLA in the film scoring program. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. And then I realized that they had all these courses on orchestration and composition and I was like, man, I'm going. I actually did the film scoring certificate through UCLA, which is 53 credits. Wow. It's really intense. Yeah. And it was amazing. I got to write for live orchestras many, many times. Um, and I'll, I'll always remember the first time that I wrote a piece that worked really well for an orchestra and like the magical feeling that that. Uh, creates, you know, to kind of be in a room with like, you know, maybe 25 orchestral players playing your music that you wrote. Um, yeah, that's got to be supreme. It was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So I finished that program. And then kind of as I was taking that program, I just sort of kind of lost interest in, in performing. 
and playing in bands. It just sort of happened naturally um, and uh, really focused on composing, on my composing work and just getting better at it. And then once I, when I finished that uh, film scoring program, then I was like, okay, well, I learned all this amazing stuff and, and have all this great experience under my belt. And now I kind of want to use it in the real world. And so I started to just kind of, you know, find opportunities to be able to write for film. Um, and it just kind of, it's been snowballing from there. I mean, it's quality stuff when, uh, in the samples that you, I mean, these are, uh, um, classical music, you know, orchestras, violins, you know, mm-hmm. the violins play a big part in a lot of, um, emotional scenes, mm-hmm. you know, tugging at the heartstrings, right? Um, things like that. And, you know, how, how are you able to compose those or maybe walk us through the process of, let's say you, someone says, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, Jason, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars, um, for my feature film. Uh, there's three really big scenes that I want you to focus on, right? The really Uh climatic scenes. Um, that I really, you know, the rest, you could do the rest, but these three ones, these, these three, the opening scene, this climax scene, and maybe down towards the end, Mm -hmm. I want you to make something really unique, really emotional, really, really raise the quality of those three scenes for me. What is your process for that? Well, you know, there's, there's a couple of ways that I would go about doing that. Um, so lately, like the last four out of the last five projects that I've scored, I wrote them all based on reading the script and some discussions with the directors of those projects. And it's a really collaborative way of scoring. Um, so I think I find that it takes a little bit more imagination to write music based off of words on a page as opposed to film footage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like working that way. So, um, you know, if it was that kind of a process, it would be a discussion with the director and, you know, reading the script. And I often like to talk to directors about colors you know, I want to, especially if I haven't seen any footage, like I want to know what are you thinking about in terms of a color palette for this film? Um, now that's interesting. Yeah, because that that actually really helps me with choices that I would make in terms of, you know, chords and instrument choices. Well, because um, I happen to know um, that when you're doing the color grading and the palettes and things like that, a lot of the 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 films that have say a blue tone to it are more um, uh, police crime mm-hmm. dramas mm-hmm. things like that. The ones with the greens um, have more of a sci-fi, you know, aliens, mm-hmm. you know, spaceships, things like that, and so. 
you know, that's a really interesting aspect because I know they bring about the, the tones bring about also the emotions and things like that. Definitely. Um, yeah. It's really important. And so, yeah. And so it's, um, I can, uh, you know, just you mentioning the colors like that for for scoring before you even see the footage, right? Yeah. That's really interesting. It's really important. Um, I This is not, no disrespect, but I had a couple of directors kind of ask me, well, why do you need to know that, you know, or isn't that something like we should be thinking about like way da- later down the road it's all connected though but yeah i mean i need to i for me especially if i'm writing off of based on the script i i want to know what are you thinking in terms of the the color world you know that's it's really important information for me and what i do um and then but if i'm working off of you know a locked picture or almost locked picture it's a little bit of a different process because at that point it's been edited. Oh. oh, go ahead. Why don't we explain to people what locked means? Good point. Thank you. Uh, so locked is just when, you know, the bulk, either all or almost all of the edits have been done to the film. And it's, you know, basically edited or, you know, being close to being completely edited. Uh, and so usually no changes or very little changes would be made to the edit at that point. Yeah, because the audio always is the last part of the process in post-production. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so if I'm working off of, a f- you know, footage, especially something that's, you know, almost finished in terms of the editing, then that footage, it has a rhythm to it. Um, mm-hmm. And the editor of that project, for me, is almost like a drummer they're setting the tempo. Yeah. And so if I'm writing to footage, well, it's different because then I need to sit with it. I need to know, ideally, you know, especially if I'm working on chunks of a film, I want to know like, well, what happened in the previous scene? What's the next scene? You know, that's important information for me. The anticipation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then just watching the footage and seeing what the, I, I would even sometimes just listen, uh, turn down the volume, all the dialogue down so I could just watch the rhythm, the movements on the screen and the rhythm of the editing. And that would help me set up a tempo or, you know, various tempos in a scene. Um, so that's how I would approach a picture that's, a, you know, something that's been filmed already. Now, if I have like the complete film, what I like to do actually is try and write the very last music first and figure that out. Um, and the reason... And what you mean by last, you mean at the, at the end of the Yeah, film? like write the most climactic music first. Okay. And then the rest of the preceding score would be leading up to that. And that's a really effective, I've done that on some projects, it's a really effective way to work because you kind of know where you're going. You know what the like what the finish line is and what that's supposed to feel and sound like. And so you can kind of work backwards from that. Because now you can figure out where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And you can also give little hints and little teasers 
in earlier music in that film, you know, to just kind of cue people to where this story might be going. Um, So those are, you know, a couple different ways that I approach projects depending on the nature of the project. Um, And I mean, if someone gave me a hundred K, I mean, that would be amazing. I would just, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, you know, j- just just take it into into effect or to consider what you just mentioned. Um, there's a lot of psychology in filmmaking. You know, I'm always talking in storytelling in yeah. general, there's psychology. Mm-hmm. But in filmmaking, it's all it's laid out for you. It's not like when you're reading a book, right, or a or a story that's written you're reading it and the reader is turning the words right into and and the message uh creatively in their mind it's their vision right right and when you're listening to music like like i used to go to the uh um you know back in the 90s right uh go to the record stores and go through all the records Uh uh-huh and they had, you know, a lot of the movies, Alien even had its own uh, record for and CDs with their soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And I would go and listen to those because I wasn't going to buy those. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted my rock bands right. or whatever. But I would sit there and spend hours in their stores listening to those things. Mm. And it's a form of escape mm. because then you can imagine a movie around it. Not the particular movie. Just your own movie. Mm, that is so but cool. In, yeah, but in film, right, uh, the director is producing, you know, the filmmaker is producing a filmmaker with people like you involved. It's all connected, you know, the color grading, the colorist, yeah. the editor is working yep. with you. You're working with them on set to create that footage. Uh, the actors, their expression, yeah. the pacing, everything is working together and so you're a big part of that and it's all psychological in so many ways because that is the one medium where everything is laid out in front of you Mm. as a viewer you're just sitting there and you're transported into this world and you don't understand why you get this that wasn't said right but if you go and analyze it there was that little violin chord, <laughs> special chord that Jason showed you or you heard before, but you weren't really listening for yeah. it. And he only plays it in particular moments with this one particular character mm-hmm. uh, who is doing this one habitual thing that leads to a clue to something at the end. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what you're alluding to, I think, is film composers really at the heart they're storytellers Mm -hmm. and that was a big leap for me to make in my understanding because because I come from playing in bands and songwriting it took me quite a bit of time to understand first of all this is some you know when you're working on a film this is somebody's project and they may have spent years to get to the point yeah exactly so (laughs) it's there's a parallel though i think um in having worked with and collaborated with other songwriters there's a parallel i think between songwriters and directors filmmakers 
where, you know, I, I worked on some songwriting projects where the other person I was collaborating with, their idea was so good. And so my goal as a collaborator in those situations was how could I enhance what's already there and not ruin it? (laughs) And having just respect for songwriting. And so there's something similar, I think, in a way with uh, filmmakers where, you know, like you said, it's their baby. And um, so just I had to make that jump, though, that mental leap between you know, being a songwriter composer where you just kind of do whatever you want, whatever your heart and imagination desires to, okay, now actually it's not that, you know, there's, there's a story here and I'm really in my role, I'm part of the storytelling team and, um, every choice, every decision that I make has to enhance that story support that story you're adding texture to the movie to the story definitely yeah i think where one of the great ways that i learned about that was when i was studying film scoring in school we watched the first like five or ten minutes of jaws with no music oh yeah and it's just it kind of looks like a tourism video there's just like (laughs) <laughs> nothing really happening on the screen really yeah and then you know it kind of a being it with then the actual score and you realize just how important of an element and not to oversell it but it's really a big element no we did that we did that in uh in in one of my classes too yeah it must be a real popular <laughs> thing to do uh with instructors just just do that with jaws out of all of that's them that's funny <laughs> i've never met yeah. anyone else that had uh, had done that in school that's so cool yeah it was in my cinematography class nice yeah well that's cool I'm glad that they were showing uh, you all in the class because it, it's like you, what you were talking about it's the juxtaposition of different shots together create a pace and a rhythm mm-hmm. and the anticipation with a dun 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 mm-hmm. and they're going back and forth they're showing you the shark then they're going back to showing you the the little kid on the floater thing. Yeah. Go back to the shark, the the people on the beach, and it's this this little thing between them. Where I guess if you're listening to an orchestra, right? It's like one instrument, you know, and then another one, and then another one comes in, you know, and and it just kind of builds up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it also makes me think about. I had heard somewhere that. Sometimes a a bad film can be saved by a good score, but I think yes. the reverse is also true. You know, um, the wrong music, <laughs> yeah, the wrong music in a film, you know, could could take away from it for sure. Uh, but you know, thinking about Jaws, um, that's an interesting story around that too, because I guess Steven Spielberg was having a lot of trouble with that shark. Mm-hmm. Well, it tore up somebody uh, the the in the in the first scene. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So in the first scene, the woman that goes into the water, the the girl, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're at night, and she goes into the water. Oh, let's go swimming. Right. You know, yeah. it's oh, in the that, middle right, of the light. Right, yeah. 
Well, apparently they were yanking on her leg from this end and that end, and I, apparently they yanked on her leg and broke her leg wow. or something like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was way, and so the screaming was like real. Wow. <laughs> she was really in pain. Wow. So that's intense. Yeah, there's a yeah. But <laughs> I didn't know that. But I had heard that they had. Well, that might have been part of the trouble that they had with that shark. Um, but uh, I guess they didn't have it on set to use for, you know, and they were on a schedule, obviously, a shooting schedule. So he really relied on the score to help tell that story. You know, because a lot of You've scenes... gone to Universal Studios, right? <laughs> Actually, I haven't. I mean, yeah, because, well, okay, so the, the, the Jaws thing, you know, it's part of the tour. Right. And I think I was like, nine or something when I first went there and I saw that and I was so disappointed you know I was like it looks like paper mache or something it was just like are you serious that's it <laughs> oh man no I, I need to get there though although that's uh do they still my have my favorite there? theme park is that ride still there <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's been there for like 150 years oh, okay. I mean, it's that's like cool. it's been there forever uh, Universal Studios was, they, they had a fire, um, I forgot what year they had a fire in, but they had a fire and I remember the Back to the Future was, um, that part was burned. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they, they brought it back. Yeah, I used to sure. go there and watch the Terminator 2 show and sit at the front row because, um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger guy with the motorcycle comes up at the end. <laughs> And then there's this mist, this white mist, uh-huh. right? Which is, you know, just, uh, it just covers up the room in white. And, and you hold your breath because it just, you feel like you just got like sprayed with this white mist. It's like, it's for an effect. Uh-huh. Everything turns white and there's this big boom, this big sound, right? We're talking about sound, guys. There's a connection here. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're sitting in that front row, it blows at you and it just hits you so hard. I'm weird, okay? I love stuff like that. <laughs> and so I would make sure after I went the first time, I had one of those annual passes for like three years in a row. Nice. And I would go there like once a month and just go sit at the front row and, you know, and watch that. <laughs> that and Waterworld for some I didn't care for the movie, um, you know, the Kevin Costner yeah, movie yeah. of the water thing. Mm-hmm. But the exhibit, you know, they, they have an airplane that crashes in the water and wow. splashes you. It's just so it awesome. Sounds fun. You really got to get there, guys. I <laughs> do, yeah. I need to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Jason, um, I just want to talk a little bit about the, the storytelling part because we, we barely touched on yeah. it. And... You know, they say half the story is sound. And I think part of that sound is the the music, mm-hmm. you know, and it's also part of the special effects. Yep. You know, a special effect, you can do it until you're blue in the face. Uh, but it has without sound, it really doesn't have an effect. That's true. That's true. I think. I've been encouraging directors that I work with or, you know, we're having discussions about potentially working together. It's part of the thing I've been encouraging to them to do is to start to collaborate with me early in their process 
you know, if, if we're touching base and connecting before, you know, filming is to get them thinking about music like ASAP early in the process. Um, because, well, for one thing, it helps me do what I do, you know, um, to kind of help them if they don't have a clear idea of what they want with the music, then I need to kind of tease that out with them to help them figure that out. Um, and you know, it's, it's such an important part of the process that I think to leave it to the end, almost like an afterthought, I think is a, it's a missed opportunity, um, in terms of your storytelling. Um, so I'm really encouraging people that I work with, um, and people seem really, a lot of people, directors lately that I've been chatting with, um, and working with, they're not used to having score written before anything's been filmed. Like this is kind of something new to most directors and filmmakers, but even if they're not okay with that or not interested in working in that way, just to get them thinking about the music early in the process, I think is good because it's, it's part of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. I mean, I've, as you, as you know, I watch a lot of films Yeah. and, um, a lot of films, you know, especially now, right? Because we're talking about mobile filmmaking, but mobile filmmaking is independent filmmaking, mm-hmm. really. I mean, it's, it's, you saw the films at the film festival. There were no bad films. Yeah. It was a great program. And yeah. I mean, you saw the rookie films, even the the ones from the most novice filmmakers, right? Yeah. Um, Those, they were incredible. They were. They were very inspiring. And so to now be at this, you know, this pace where I'm watching films and every film, right, that that gets selected and that gets into the program is pretty good. However, um, they could all, the production value, the, 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 the value of that film could be increased, right? With really good film scoring. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I, I saw a program recently here in LA and, um, there was one film in particular, and it's probably just because of who I am and what I do. I'm really tuned into listening to a film. Yeah. And, um, we, the piece of music that was used in this particular film, it was a short, was actually, I thought a good piece of music and I think it worked well, but the production on it was extremely distracting for me. Um, and it, I don't know, maybe it's something that, you know, a casual viewer wouldn't notice, but it kind of took me out of the film. Um, and I don't know why, but I later discovered that the director of the film also did the music. Um, so even just the production side of scoring, I think has to be done with a lot of care. Um, and it's something that I spent a lot of time when I have the time, if I have the time on a project, 
to not to say to get it perfect, but just to get it to be as good as I can, as I and as I know it can be. Um, because even if you if you're writing appropriate music for a, a scene or a film, it also has to be produced well. Um, so that's a whole other kind of technical thing. Yeah, because you can get away with something, right? And that's not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if it's intentional, you know, like lo- like intentionally lo-fi. It's a choice, you know, and I feel like I, I can tell when that's a choice or when it's just. It's very know. hard, um, Jason. Um, I did video production for so long, right? I separate, I learned to separate myself from stuff I shot. Yeah, that's good. Because, yeah, and it became, I forced myself to separate, to not judge something and criticize something based on who shot it. I used to work with different camera people, Mm -hmm. and I used to also be a media manager, and I was in charge of thousands and thousands of tapes, little mini DV Mm. tapes, and then we would digitize them, and then we were getting, you know, HD, you know, uh, digital files, and all those things together, and I would have to label them, organize them, all these things, and then I would have to pick and choose for different um, editing uh, pieces that I would edit for to be a part of another, uh, you know, production, right? And so... It, it would be, oh, this is some footage that so-and-so shot of this particular... Say, say you're making a, a documentary, mm-hmm. you know, showing the progress of this this event, you know, uh, this, this story. And we would grab from this and that and that and different times, different years, different people recording it, right. you know, capturing the footage. And I would have to somehow put this all together. And some of it was mine. Right. Uh And I was able to finally force myself to say, even though I shot this, that doesn't make it good. Mm. I don't see it with the eye of look how good it is Mm. or look how bad that is, (laughs) because, you know, it can work both ways. Definitely. It just matters to the story and the intention. When you're editing, you you have to have intention Mm -hmm. when you're making a movie. And you're telling a story, you have to have intention. Mm. If you don't have the intention, everything is just sort of uh, like jello. Yep. You know, it's just, you're just sort of mushed <laughs> together. There it is. Yeah. You know? And from what I do, you're just kind of guessing. You're just kind of hoping, you know, this or that'll yeah. work, you know? And there's certainly a part of, a part of the process is intuitive and, at least from for me, it's intuitive, but there's also, like you said, there needs to be a balance between, I think, between intuition and intent. Yeah. You know, and, and it's hard because there, you know, also film is a science, but it's art, mm-hmm. you know, and the same way. those two things together. Right. Because a music art, I mean, even all art there's a there's a science to all art because when you're thinking about it as a as a creator right of that it's always 
Well, there, it's like, it. I don't mean intent in that sense. The science part is the intent. And the art part is the, you know, uh, what you call your intuition. Mm-hmm. It's the heart of mm-hmm. it. It's the expression, the, you know what, whatever, let me splash that there. <laughs> oh, look, that worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the other part that goes in and says that actually fits. And we've all experienced that with music or film mm-hmm. or anything where you do something and you drop it there and it actually works yep. and you're like, I'm leaving it. Yep. And that's the intention. Yep. Yeah. And you know, there's, you mentioned science and there's a lot of math too in mm-hmm. music um, for sure. And I hate math. <laughs> <laughs> I never liked math until I really got deep into composing yeah. and music theory. And then it just sort of all clicked for me. Um, but uh, that's why I would hire you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's there's um, there's quite a bit of math, actually, and even in film scoring. Um, and but that like you were talking about intention, intentionality, and that's something that I try to bring to a project from the first choice that I make all the way to the last choice that I make in, in the last cue that I write. Um, so like I start my whole writing process really intentional and that's why I kind of try to tease as much information about a project that I'm working on from the director. Um, you know, I want to know about colors. I want to know backstories. I want to read the script because that's all information that's going to help me make better choices as a film composer. Um, and so yeah, I'm just very intentional about my process. Um, it's all very, I don't really talk to the directors about it. And I feel like you, if you do it right, you don't need to, you know, because the thing just works. The cue just works in the scene, you know, um, and they're and they're just happy with it. Um, and certainly I think for me now, scoring is also very intuitive. Like you, I could just drop a, piece of like you know film in front of me a scene and I've done it enough times now that it's very intuitive like what I need to do which is a cool feeling because it wasn't always like that for me it took a number of projects before I got to that point Um, and then one day I was just working on a project I was like oh it's it's intuitive you know the film scoring process Um, but even with that like it's still very intentional for me, um, in the choices that I make and, and even things like the keys that I choose to write in the key signatures, you know, um, and any changes that I make to different keys, like it's all very intentional. Um, but all of those things are in service of the story that we're working on. Yeah, I think, um, that's actually, I've had a conversation, uh, with, uh, different guests, well, many conversations with different guests. Um, but I remember, um, I think it was the uh, art school dropouts, uh, Joey Ming, who said, basically, once you learn all the technicalities of working with a camera uh, and working on on a film, right, on a video or whatever it is, after you've done it so many times you don't have to think about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think about it in detail. Yeah. 
and you begin to trust your intuition because the intent, uh, going back to what we're talking about, the intent doesn't always has have to be a conscious thing. Yeah. And that's where you come in. You know, you're talking about math and all these things and the experience of what you just said of doing it so many times that you can trust your intuition, but you do it with intent, but you don't have to think about it all the time. Yeah. It just works. That's what makes you a professional. Well, thank you. And that comes with experience. It does. Yeah. And that's really inspiring, Jason. (laughs) Well, thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad it is. I mean, um, yeah, like you said, you get to a point where it's intuitive. But I think also part of, for me anyway, allowing that intuition to sometimes take the front seat in my process is because I feel like I'm really entrenched in the story that I'm working on. That's and it. so it's already in my subconscious. And so I'll, I know whether this instrument is the right choice or not, you know. Yeah. And, and like a story, you know, you know what what should be happening before this other thing happens. And, you know, the very basics of a story, yeah. right, on a timeline. You know, you don't have somebody getting out of the car before somebody gets in the car, <laughs> right? You know, you don't have the car moving forward without stepping on the gas pedal. Right. You know, just little things like that. And I know these are like the silliest examples, but you could <laughs> have that in any other thing. But the, when you have all these pieces in front of you, like a puzzle, your mind just goes, well, how am I supposed to find a story to that? And that's kind of like what happens to an editor yeah. or a composer with all the all the tools available, all the stuff mm-hmm. that you have available to you. But after you do it so many times, it's like, well, I know this goes here, this goes there. This used to happen to me in video production, Jason. Yeah, I bet. It's like people just throw all this stuff at me, and I was like, all right, what are we doing? <laughs> What's the story? Right. You know, and then let's put the story together. And sometimes you're just throwing things around, and you're going, oh, I can see the story now. Mm, yeah. You know, and things just kind of fall together. Absolutely. And I can see why you're, the directors that you work with, like you said, they're happy with it. They don't need to know the math. <laughs> right. They just know it sounds good, it fits well, and it does what the music is supposed to do. It makes them feel something yeah. when they're watching the film. Yeah. And also when it's a situation where the director knows my previous work, has heard it and seen it, then, you know, ideally they would be hiring me because they like what I do and they think that what I do could enhance their project. And so usually the films that come out the best and the scores that come out the best for me are the ones where the director hires me and is like, do your thing. Yeah. You know, just run with it. And I'm the one that's like, hey, can we have a spotting session, please? You know? Because I just want to make sure I do the right thing and I, I want to, you know, I respect your project and want to want to do the best that I can on it. Um, but when I can have that leeway, that creative leeway, um, 
because I'm going to do my research and I'm going to read my script, you know, I'm, I'm going to do all the things that I do anyway. Um, so it's really been really nice. Most of my projects I've had just the director really trust me from the beginning of the process. And it's a good feeling. And I think I actually do better work in those situations. Of course. You know, and it's sort of like, well, if you don't trust me and you're not really into what I'm doing, I'm probably not the right person for this project, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. and I'm cool with that. And I'm actually really forthcoming, um, into, in, in terms of, you know, I think you need to have the right person to execute your vision, to help you execute the vision that you're going for, you know? Yeah. Nervous people make mistakes. <laughs> Nervous people are just are just too conscious. Yeah. You know, too subconscious, you know, too, too like, yeah. you know, and you're not going to get the best from people if you're if they're sort of scared or uncomfortable or nervous. You yeah, know, I can exactly. walk from here to the kitchen with a glass of water filled to the rim if I'm comfortable with it and I'm OK with it and not afraid to drop it. But as soon as I'm nervous about it, I'm going to trip over every little thing that's <laughs> <laughs> along the totally. way that water is getting spilled. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So and that's that's the other thing where when when people working because like I keep saying, it's all connected. It's all for that story, for the effect, you know, and the effect is that you take the viewer, they fall into the story and they don't come out until you want them to mm. come out. Yeah. And the message that rolls around in their head afterwards, you know, for days working mm. this thing out, you know, or, or just thinking about it and, and connecting it to their own uh, stories and, and feelings and things like that, that's all intentional, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's a part of it. And that is, you know, the magic of filmmaking sometimes just happens when everything is falling into place because people are working hard to make that happen yeah. in all aspects of it. Yeah. You know, and I think like what I was saying before, so many movies that I see, not just in my film festival, but everywhere that could be so much better if they hired Jason, Jason Rivera. <laughs> I appreciate it's great, that. It's a great, great segue to uh, <laughs> to end this. Too. Um, is there anything else that you think uh, we need to share? I was going to share something you know having been to your festival in april and having had that experience um it made me think because i studied fine art and painting like i mentioned earlier in school and art history and i remember studying about photography and how mm -hmm. it was um not accepted as a serious art form in the beginning mm. and because you know it, it paintings and etchings uh and drawing obviously for centuries were kind of the accepted modes of expression in, in visual art oh i see what you mean yeah. yeah and so when photography came along it took decades i learned this in school it was just like a mechanical thing yeah it, it's just, no one was looking at the output they're looking at the thing and people the tool. weren't taking it seriously as a fine art form 
And so, you know, now like you go to a museum and you kind of take it for granted. Like, you know, there's photo, you know, there's photography here. It's just, it's another medium, you know? And I, I, I was thinking about how there's, at least in my mind, maybe some kind of parallel to mobile filmmaking uh, where maybe some people are kind of just so focused on the tool uh, and not willing to accept the art that, uh, you know, came out of using that tool. Um, and just thinking like, hopefully maybe who knows how long it'll take. Um, but just, I, I was thinking about a parallel between the early days of photography and the fine art world and mobile filmmaking in the filmmaking world. And just seeing kind of like a connection there. Um, so hopefully mobile filmmaking will have a similar path to photography, maybe in five, 10 years, you know, it'll be such a common thing. Um, and, uh, a common tool that's used in the filmmaking, uh, world that, you know, people don't even give it a second thought to use it. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. So for me, uh, so from 2009 to 2023 feels like it's been a hundred years <laughs> and I'm still pushing for this. And now, now we're going into the 13th year, uh, next April, which by the way, you guys, uh, submissions are open, submit your features and, and your smartphone photos and your short films. Yeah. And we even have a short film, uh, short screenplay, uh, contest as well. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Because of the story part. Right. Um, and 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 guys, if you have a screenplay, you have a product that you can share with friends and even people like Jason and say, this is what I want to make. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Don't just talk about making a film. Show them the film that you want to make and bring people on board Absolutely. to help you make that happen. So, yeah, we're going on 13 years. And a couple of years ago in the summer around this time, I wrote a thing and I said, hey, Feature films have reached, uh, shot on a phone, have reached the mainstream. Yeah. Because you can see them on Amazon and Tubi. Mm-hmm. You can see them, you know, some special people get to have their film on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steven Soderbergh <laughs> um, shot with a phone. But we're really independent filmmaking yeah is what smartphone filmmaking is uh, more and more independent filmmakers are using the smartphone cameras and i've watched from people who were giving me a hard time about it before open up mm. now and say yeah actually i'm willing to do that mm-hmm. and as soon as they're willing to do it they're not going to criticize it like they would before yeah because they see the benefits of it and you know what brought that on jason the pandemic Mm. because people were basically blocked from making films right uh they couldn't do it and so they thought well what if i made made a film Mm. on my phone with a few people or by myself even that's awesome that's a and they realized here we are it's a silver lining i guess right yeah. So Jason, you know, uh, be prepared. I hope that some of you out there who are making feature films uh, want to up your game 
uh, up the production value of your film and contact Jason. Look, I was only kidding. Jason's not going to charge you $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he's definitely worth $100,000. And all you have to do is listen to his demo reels. Um, there's, and especially that song that I really like a lot, Beam, right? Is that what it was yep. called? I really appreciate uh, so, that, Susie. Yeah, you bet. Jason, where can people find you? Um, well... If you want to listen to my music, you can go to my website, jasonriveramusic.com. Um, and you can connect with me on there too, my socials on my website. So it's the awesome. best way to do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do this one thing. I do this one thing at the end. Say goodbye to our listeners. All right, everybody. If you're a filmmaker or you're thinking about a filmmaker, being becoming a filmmaker, please submit to the International Mobile Film Festival. It's an awesome festival, a lot of fun, great people. Um, and with that, thank you so much, Susie, for having me on here. Thank you, Jason.